So, good morning, church. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen me in a while, um, my name is Simon Chittenden, and I lead our high school ministry here at God First called Ignite. And the amazing thing is just in this past week, we celebrated our fifth birthday. And it was quite a special moment, just basically seeing your kids go from grade eight to matric. So there's a whole new batch of kids coming in, and it's amazing to see them grow. Um, more recently, though, the reason why I'm saying it's good to be back in the building is for the last about 18 months, uh, a large part of my focus has been uh, down in the Makers Valley. And for those of you that don't know where the Makers Valley is, it's basically between Ellis Park Rugby Stadium and the East Gates Shopping Center. It's down in the valley. And if you've ever ridden a bicycle, you know why it's called a valley. There's lots of climbing and lots of uh, free riding. And uh, just over the past 18 months, I've just been so amazed at how faithful God has been to us. Uh, about two years ago, we launched an Alpha course uh, down at the Alhambra Theater in New Durant-Fontaine. And from that Alpha, which we're running again soon, we got to engage with people we didn't know. And as they came in, they heard the word of God, uh, something inside them got transformed. And since then, they've joined us as members of God First. It was amazing. After that Alpha, many of the, the people that joined us on that Alpha um, got prayed in. Many of them have, were baptized here, and many of them are still around. And this morning for announcement, you saw my wife and Kitu, and I just uh, want to give a shout out to all our Makers Valley community guys that are here this morning. So guys, welcome. This morning, um, we're going to be launching into a new series. And the question we're asking is how do we care for a broken city? This can seem like a mammoth task, but thank God we have him on our side. Okay. This is what it says in Isaiah 58. It says, And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Let's pray. Father God, you are glorious and you are good. And I, I thank you that you love each one of us so deeply. I pray, won't you be with me as I share this morning? And I just want to, I want to pray for each of our hearts too. May we, may we have humility. May we be ones that are, are seeking to understand before being understood. So won't you prepare us, Lord? I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, as I want to set us up uh, in the coming weeks, I think my goal this morning is to give us the why. Why care? Why, why bother? So one of my favorite things to do is ride my bicycle, okay? And one of my favorite places to ride is the Joburg CBD. And people often ask me, like, Sir, why are you riding the city, isn't it dangerous? Aren't you scared? And the response I often give to people is 
Joburg, in many senses, isn't pretty, but it is beautiful. And I think what I'm trying to communicate when I'm saying that is like I see the flaws, I see the brokenness, like literally in the potholes and the infrastructure, and I also see the brokenness in community and society. And what I still love about it is that there is a beauty. I know God has a plan to redeem the city. He's got a plan to redeem Joburg, and he's got a plan to redeem the world. And I think this morning, the provocation I want to be bringing is how are we, as the people of God, involved in that big story? So one of the toughest things for me to see is as I ride or driving in my car, is you stop at the robot and there's a, a, a guy trying to grab your attention. Or there's, you're on your way to work and there's a couple of guys sleeping under the bridge. The brokenness is all around us. And I think as people of God, we are asked to look and see. And sometimes the challenge ahead of us can just be so overwhelming, right? There is so much to do. It's like, where do we start? A part of us wants to get involved, and then we think, oh, I'd love to help, but like, how, can I, how can I really help? Like, what, what can I really do? And then I'm sure there's like, someone else who's better at doing this thing than I am. And like, actually, today's actually not a good day. I've got a meeting to go to, and I'm pretty busy. Like, maybe tomorrow, you know? And I, I think the heart of God is about caring for the poor. So this morning, I want to read a passage out of Matthew 25. And Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison and go visit? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Then they'll answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, 
whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So, quite a hectic passage, right? But I think the message is clear for us. We are to care for the vulnerable. We are to care for those most in need. And what we see from this passage is there are different types of needs, right? Some of them are material, giving someone something to drink or something to eat or clothing. But there's also, it goes beyond that, and there are some relational needs around care when they're sick or visiting them in prison. And when I read this passage, it's clear for me that God is calling us to see and love those who are hurting and in our communities. He says, whatever you did for the least of these of mine, you've done for me. So I want to ask us a question. Who are these brothers and sisters? Have you got your eyes open to see them? Have you got your hearts open to see them? So in light of this passage, I want to make it clear. Why do we help? It's the heart of God. And the amazing thing is, I find in my own Christian walk, as I've grown my relationship with the Father, it's almost like the things of the Father start getting bestowed upon me. As the, as the, as the Spirit rises in me, I, I put down things of self, things of selfishness. My eyes are open to, to new things. And as a disclaimer, this doesn't happen overnight. It's not like we pray, we get filled, and all of a sudden we're these like, amazing social justice warriors. But as we are faithful in God, in seeking Him, in, 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 in seeking to be closer to Him, He likes to get hold of our heart and change us. So I think it will be helpful for us in actually understanding what the problem is. Like if we know the answer, if we know what the problem is we're trying to answer, I think the question and the questions we can ask will be better. So let's rethink poverty. So it's quite interesting. In some research done, when, just for brevity's sake, let's call one group the rich, and let's call another group the poor. That's just for brevity's sake, right? When the rich are asked to think about poverty, they most likely describe it in material terms. You ask them about poverty, and some of the answers you get is lack of housing, lack of money, lack of education, lack of food, lack of clothing. The rich largely see poverty as a lack of a material item. On the other hand, when the poor are asked to think about poverty and what poverty is to them, they think about it in far more psychological terms. When asked, they share things like uh, powerlessness, uh, being unseen, not having a voice, um, being humiliated, being hopeless. Um, I just wanted to share two quotes with you. Uh, there's an institute uh, called the Chalmers Center, and their entire goal is poverty alleviation. And in some of the research they've done, uh, this are some of the answers they got from poor people. The first one's from uh, a lady in Moldova. She says, 
For a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are crippled. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Another one from Uganda. A woman says, when one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food, so there's famine in her house no clothing, and no progress in her family. So can we see the mismatch here? If we are only thinking about poverty in material terms, the only solutions we're going to try and provide are material, right? We see someone hungry, give them a sandwich. We see someone thirsty, buy them a Coke. When we, when we see the, what the poor are saying about themselves, is it goes beyond, beyond material need into their hearts. So addressing the physical lack, right, that is 100% appropriate for us. It's not saying don't do that. But I think the challenge for us doesn't stop there. So I want you to consider your drive home from work each day. I normally go along the same way as I fetch my boy on the way home. And often I have the same woman in my case who's at the same robot every single day. And, you know, she looks me in the eyes, she gives me that look, you know that look, and you feel like, you give her the eyes back and you say, oh, sorry, you know, no change. And you carry on driving by. On the other hand, she might catch you on a good day, right? And you think, oh, I've got five bucks in the ashtray, I'll sort her out. Or on an even better day, you have, you've got your uneaten lunch in the lunchbox that your wife made you, and you know, if you come home with it, you're gonna get in trouble. So you, so you hand out some sandwiches, you know? Don't tell your wife about the, uh, the staff lunch you had. And of course, for that woman, going to bed with something in her stomach is better than not going to bed with something in her stomach, right? But if we are driving past that person day after day, and oftentimes year after year, how far as has our goodwill actually gotten? How much have we really done? Just one thing I think is worth noting here is I would hate uh, for the next four weeks for us as we get deeper into the care series to be completely informative, to, do, to be only informative. That you come here, you think, I've heard some interesting things, uh, here's food for thought, and then in maybe six weeks or six months' time, you might not even remember what was spoken about, you know. My hope is that as we go into this very nuanced uh, field, that, the, that heart transformation begins to take place. And I think, I think Greg was really helpful for us during worship and just saying we are saved by grace, not by good works. And as we've received this grace of God, I know in my own life, it's because I've been loved so deeply that I feel like I want to love. It's as I know how deeply I've been forgiven and restored, I too want to share Christ with other people. So my prayer for us is that this is a heart change in each of us. Okay, I just want to keep that at the back of your mind. So 
a lot of the work that I've been doing recently has been involved in the, in the inner city. And one thing I just want to highlight is that the poor is not a, a people group to be understood from a distance. The poor are made up of, of sons and daughters. They're made up of, of fathers and mothers. They have a name and they have a story. And we meant to, our challenge is to walk with them and alongside them, to see them face to face, to have a relationship with them. And as you walk alongside them, it's we walking together in Christ. And how do we walk together in faith? And even the term the poor, I think, is unhelpful because that label for me just seems far too rigid, right? For me, it's, I think it's more helpful to say those currently living in poverty. And we say currently living in poverty because the hope is to see them restored. The hope is to see them get out of their current situation into a place where they're restored, where they have relationship with the Father, where they are in community, where they are, where they are living to the fullness of life, which... Christ has called them to live. Okay. So, one thing, God is an inherently relational being, right? There's, there's Father, Son, and Spirit. And us being made in God's image are relational too. And there are four key relationships which God has um, created for us. Our primary relationship is with God himself. And that primary relationship feeds into the rest of our lives, right? Where there's um, relationship with self, relationship with others, and relationship with the rest of creation. And it's, well, it's, for me, one of the hardest things to see as I walk is because sin has entered the world, we all know the story, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, eat the fruit of knowledge, and sin enters the world. And because sin has entered the world, these relationships are now distorted. Our relationship with God is not as it should be. We read that Adam and Eve, their intimacy was replaced with fear. Our relationship with self, because of sin, has been distorted, and they develop shame of what they've done, and that's why they put on the, the fig leaves. The relationship with others and community was also tainted. And Adam, like a real man, quickly blames his wife for what went wrong. And then our relationship with creation is tainted too, as God curses the ground um, and makes bearing of crops difficult. So we see that there are these four foundational relationships, but because of sin, they're not working as they should. So for me, when I read this, one of the things um, which I want to highlight is when you, think of, when you think about helping the poor, helping the vulnerable in our community, it's not an us-them situation. In Christ, we are all together. And it's in Christ that we actually experience a fullness of being and a fullness of relationship. It's not about the haves helping the have-nots. Because in many senses, the haves might have material things, but there could be brokenness leaking out in every other place. Where they don't know God, there's a, a, a huge 
a pride issue, a, 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 a God mentality of themselves, the way they treat others. So in many senses, it's not the rich helping the poor. It's about understanding our togetherness and our brokenness and that we all are in need of a Savior. We all need Christ. We all need the grace of God. And it's from that place where we have brothers shoulder to shoulder alongside us that we seek to live for God together. So this morning, I want to bring a challenge to us. And the question I want to ask is, are we doing all we can do to usher in the kingdom here on earth? Are we doing all we can do to usher in the kingdom here on earth? Lines 3 and 4 of the Lord's Prayer says this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we doing all we can? Is earth a place where there is no mourning or crying or pain, where there is no one in need? So when I look at my own life, I'm actually challenged by this. Um, so on a Sunday morning, the reason I haven't been here for a while is we actually host a church basically in our home. And we have about 25 uh, guys from the Makers Valley involved with us. Uh, during the week, I'm often involved in prayer nights and worship evenings. Um, on a Friday night, I'm here with Ignite, uh, leading our high school ministry. During the week, I'm at three of the boys' schools uh, in, across Joburg sharing the gospel. And in some senses, I feel like, wow, I'm an example of being an amazing Christian. Look at me. I'm involved in all these things. My hands are over the place, speaking, praising the Lord. Recently, I've, I've been, uh, again, doing a prayer walk uh, through the Joburg CBD. And we're walking and praying for guys we're meeting and things like that. And a friend of mine asked me the question, "So, how much gospel impact do you think you're having? And I was like, oh, I'm involved in this, this, that. But he said, how many people in the community know what you're up to? Like when you are involved in all these parts of church life, how is that impacting the people around your house where you live? So I was, I'm greatly challenged by that. And my prayers for me is as I, I'm running for God, He's going to speak to me slowly, slowly and reveal things to me. And I want to have greater gospel impact. Not out of a sense of duty, not because I'm commanded to, but because hopefully as I seek God, my heart becomes more like His. On the other hand, uh, my wife, she's involved uh, down in the Makers Valley and in the community, there are so many social justice-type organizations, and they're involved in a range of projects. Uh, some of them include food security, job readiness, early childhood development education, after-school programs. Like The list could go on and on and on. And what aches me a little bit is that every single one of these social justice do-good organizations are secular. Not one of them is faith-based, and in particular, Christian, right? And what's the challenge I think I've received for myself is, are these other organizations doing more to usher in the kingdom than we are? Are they? The ironic thing is, 
they have, they, they have no king, yet they're trying to usher in the kingdom in many ways. And the challenges for us, I think, as Christians, is how do we usher in the kingdom under the glory of our king? How do we, how do we bring change through the gospel? How do we bring change through Christ? So today what I wanted to highlight is that brokenness goes beyond the surface. Yes, when we see the hungry, we, we should feed them. When we see someone needing clothes and we can help, we should do that, as you read in Matthew 25. But what I want to, the seed I want to plant with us is are we seeing one another? Are we seeing the most vulnerable in our communities? So two years ago, my family and I, we uh, were living in Randburg, and we chose to sell our home, and we moved to Observatory, uh, which is basically the closest suburb you can be in to the CBD, where you can still have a dog. Because <laughs> closer than that, there's just like apartments, and then you're in uh, Yeovil, and then Berea, it's like, but that's the closest place we can be where you can still have a dog. And over the past... Um, 18 months, two years now, it's just been amazing seeing us involved in the community and getting uh, connected with those around us, hearing stories, hearing the goodness of God, how people have restored relationships. And what I'm most excited about is seeing what the next 10 years can bring. I know this can seem daunting, but we're not alone Christ has given us the Holy Spirit. He said we're going to need a helper. In the coming weeks, we are going to get more practical. This morning, I think I wanted to bring to you the why. It's the heart of God, and we have been empowered to love our brothers and sisters. In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at how we do that. We're going to be looking at the Joburg context. So I hope over the next four weeks, the conversation doesn't end here on a Sunday morning. I hope it doesn't end at Sunday lunch. I hope that in your growth groups, you guys are going to be chatting about these things. And that your eyes and your hearts, your hearts are open to what's in store. So as we end this morning, I, just, I just want to leave a final exhortation. The task at hand is a big one. There's much to do in the city. We can often feel so overwhelmed, but God has called us to spend ourselves in behalf of the hungry and to satisfy the needs of the oppressed, so that our light will rise in the darkness. Amen.